I'm going to invite you, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1119, page 1119. Thanks, Andy. And let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we talked last week about how good it is that you have revealed yourself to us. And you have done that through your Son, and that's been inscripturated through the Bible. We thank you for your word. It is instruction to us. It is wisdom for us. Um, it affects us uh, not only intellectually, but spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in all ways possible. In fact, it leads us to salvation. Your Holy Spirit uses us to lead us to salvation, so it affects us socially as well. As we come to salvation, put our faith in Christ, and then we are connected to a whole new family, a whole new web of relationships that uh, not only are local, but cross the globe and cross history. And one day we'll all be farther along. We'll all be reunited. Um, we'll be united together in the kingdom of the Lord. And we look forward to that. As we attend to your scriptures now, we continue our worship by paying attention to what it is you have to say to us. Um, cast out distractions and help us to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we saw in 1 John, we looked at the first four verses, that we saw that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, entered into human history and he became a man for this purpose so that we could enter into fellowship with God Almighty. Now the topic that John takes up next in the verses we're going to look at today, verses 5 through 10, is the one thing that breaks down the fellowship between God and people. What is that? Sin. It's sin. Um, so you see the title there on your outline, Dealing with Sin. I bet you're thinking, woohoo, this is going to be exciting. This is going to be fun. It's hoping we were talking about sin. Uh, but it's important to talk about. Uh, the Lord, it was our, again, it was our one problem, and uh, God uh, graciously sent his son to us in order to take care of our sin pre- problem and at great price to him. And so we're going to talk about that um, Isaiah 59 two talks about the sin problem, your iniquities, your sin, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Jeremiah 525, your sins have kept good from you. Your sins have kept good from you. So let's read what John has to say about sin. First John chapter one, beginning at verse five. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The uh, passage, and I've got the passage up here. I know it's small print, but I just highlighted some things. I just want to show you some things, the big print. It starts, uh, the passage starts with a, uh, a statement about God, that God is light. And then each verse that follows, uh, verses 6 through 10, have conditional statements. They each begin with a conditional statement. So verse 6, if we say, verse 7, but if we walk, verse 8, if we say, verse 9, if we confess, verse 10, if we say. So it starts off by talking about God, but then it start, then the passage goes into talking about us and our response to sin. These conditional statements alternate between good and bad. For instance, in verse 6, it's, 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 it's not a good thing. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, not good. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that's good. Verse 8, bad. If we say we have no sin, which isn't true. Verse 9, good. If we confess our sins, verse 10, if we say we don't have any sin. Now, each of the negative conditions result in some sort of deception, okay? So in verse 6, the deception is that we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Verse 8, we are deceiving ourselves. Verse 10, we are making God a liar. But each of the positive conditions result in divine action that effectively deals with our sin problem. Verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that was a lot. I just wanted to show you how the passage is broken down, but we're going to work our way through the passage now. So this passage instructs us on how and how not to deal with sin. John starts with a statement about God, a statement that is both simple and profound, and he uses a word picture. He says, God is light. God is light. Now, what does it mean that God is light? It means he's holy, it means a lot of things. I'm going to tell you a little bit of what it means. It means that he's holy, he's righteous, he's just and good and beautiful and majestic and glorious and full of splendor. And then the next line in your Bibles, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Nothing mars him. There are no character flaws, no, no imperfections, no faults, no hint of wickedness or evil. Look at some of these verses. Psalm 92:15. The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Tony, I'm getting just a little bit of ringing up here, but I don't know if it's just me or what. Psalm 119, 137. Righteous, o you, righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. James 113. God cannot be tempted by evil. This is talking about his perfection, his, his uh, moral or ethical perfection, if you will. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his acts. The God is light. So here's the starting point for dealing with sin. Remember that God is holy. Remember that God is holy. Remember who it is that we deal with. 
Jesus, the Son of God, became a human being like us, and he was like us in every respect except for one. What was that one respect? How is God not, Jesus not like us? Sin, yeah, it's the key word for today. <laughs> sin. Jesus became exactly like us in every respect, every respect except for sin. And he came into the world to deal with our sin. You've heard it said, to err is human. To err is human. That's not quite right. That's not how God designed us. It is true of all humans except for Jesus. But when God designed us, he didn't design us to sin. That's a flaw. That's a flaw that Jesus came to take care of. Jesus is the perfect human, and he's leading human beings, redeemed human beings, into that state where they are fixed, where they no longer have that sin problem. Remember that God, remember that God is holy. Now look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Why is that? Because God is light. He is in light. But we're walking in the darkness and we say we have fellowship with him. We're not in the same spot. He's in light. We're in darkness. No fellowship. What kind of person is being described here? This is the kind of person who thinks that everything is cool between them and God, even though they're living in sin. They think everything's all right between them and God, even though they're quite comfortable with their sin, even though they're doing nothing about getting rid of their sin. So, number two, don't think that your sin doesn't affect your relationship with God. Don't think that your sin doesn't affect your relationship with God. Notice what it says. The person who thinks they're in fellowship with God but is walking in darkness is lying. They may not be willfully lying. They may not actually, th- they may actually think everything's cool between them and God. But it's, that's not true. They may not know they're lying, but they're lying nonetheless. Further, the verse says that they're not practicing the truth. It literally reads, they're not doing the truth. They're not doing the truth. Okay, So they're not speaking the truth, and they're not doing the truth. They're telling a lie, and they're not doing the truth. They think of God as their buddy. As long as they, as long as they have positive feelings, you know, I have a positive regard for God. So we must be okay, right? After all, God is love. And isn't it part of love to, to look over the offenses, look past the, look past the difficult things in a person's personality? Well, that's, that's somewhat true, I guess, in some human relationships, but that's not true with God. Some people say God loves me just the way I am. That's, that's somewhat true, um, but not completely true. God loves you right now, despite how you are right now. That's more true. God loves you right now, true, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. God loves you, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. And that's the way parents are with kids, are they not? Love our kids, but, you know, my my grandson's here today, and he's one and a half, you know, and it's fun to watch him eat and he gets stuff all over him, but... Uh, I'm, I'm confident his parents don't want him to be that way when he's 14 and 18 years old. You know, they love him the way he is, but they don't want him to stay that, you know, food all over the place, you know. No. And, and that's the way God is with us. All right? He loves us, but he doesn't want us to stay this way. Jesus came not only to remove the guilt of our sin, but to free us from our sins. That is to free us from sinfulness. Jesus, by his spirit, is transforming us, and we are to cooperate in that process. As an example, let's look at Colossians 3. Is that too hard to read? Just curious. 
Is it? Okay. I'll read it to you. Uh, I never know how, how... Okay. Let me just read. Uh, therefore, Paul And notice the expectations. Notice the expectations as you listen. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath came on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away or get rid of all of the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Notice the specific things that you're to stop doing, put to death, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, etc., etc., anger, rage, slander, so forth. You're, you're supposed to be getting rid of these things, okay? Uh, notice the transformation that should be, uh, um, I'm sorry, notice, notice that next phrase, uh, you once walked in these things when you were living in them. What's the expectation? The expectation is that there's a expe- uh, change, there's growth, there's transformation, And it talks about transformation down there in verse 10. You are being renewed. You are to be cooperating in the renewal of your nature. So walking in darkness should be less and less true of you. You should be walking in, in light. The grace of God, it's true that the grace of God overwhelms our sin. Romans 5.20. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. That's the good news of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we can just go on our merry way sinning. Two verses later in Romans, at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace can multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. There's an expectation of change and transformation. If you claim that things are good between you and God, but you have not changed and you aren't striving toward godliness, you're lying to yourself because things aren't good between you and God. Posting, posting an inspirational quote on Facebook about Jesus or giving a shout-out to God in social media or giving a thumbs-up to a worship song on YouTube, that's, that's not enough for godliness. Okay, That's not enough for fellowship with God. We're talking about your life. What is your life like? So let me ask you some questions. Are you curbing your tongue or are you giving it free reign to browbeat your husband or your wife or your kids? Do your words build others up or do they cut others down? Are you fighting lust or are you feeding lust? What about the use of your money? Would Christ consider it to be godly or selfish? Do you control your temper or do you let it out once a day? Do you forgive those who have wronged you or are you nursing bitterness and unforgiveness? Do you forgive those who have wronged one of your loved ones or are you nursing bitterness and unforgiveness? Are you honest about your income, or do you cheat on your taxes? Do you deal respectfully and gracious with people with differing political views? Or do you hate and berate people because they're Republicans or because they're Democrats? You see, all these things, all these things matter to God. 
A while back, Pastor Ryan preached a, sur- a, 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 a series where he each week he was reminding us that being a Christian is a full-time commitment and there are no exceptions. Your relationship with God should affect and inform every area of your life. Your relationship with God should affect and inform every area of your life. If it hasn't and it doesn't, then things aren't the way you think they are. If your relationship with God hasn't changed you, then you are lying to yourself and you have no relationship with God. That's what verse 6 is talking about. Now look at verse 7. I spent a lot of time on verse 6. I don't plan to spend quite as much time on the rest, but in case you're worried. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. We're to walk in the light as God is in the light. We're to walk as he walks, First Peter 1. As the one who called you is holy, what? You're also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're to walk in the light. That idea of walking one step at a time, one step at a time, walking in the light, each step in the light, it's, 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 uh, it's regular. You know, it happens minute by minute. Um, it's daily obedience. So live a life of daily obedience. Live a life of hour by hour obedience, minute by minute. It's a life of doing the truth. Consider how specific our obedience is to be, how particular. Romans 6.13, talking about the parts of our body, okay, the hands, the feet, the eyes, so forth, says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So minute by minute, living in obedience, offering our eyes to righteousness, not sin, offering our hands to righteousness, not sin, offering our feet, and so forth, our minds to righteousness and not to sin. Live your life consistent with your calling as a Christian. Philippians one twenty seven. whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when we walk in the light, what happens? Well, one of the results of when we walk in the light is that we have genuine fellowship with God. We can say we have fellowship with him and we're not lying. We have fellowship with God. But verse 7 mentions two other things. We have fellowship with one another. We have a spiritual kinship and connection with other believers. We have the support and encouragement and like-minded understanding with fellow Christians who are also striving for holiness and Christ-likeness. And another result is this. The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. The stain of sin on our lives is being eradicated. The hard, the hard, as we walk in the light, the hardwiring of sin in our souls and our bodies is being disrupted and removed. The mindset of sin and the influence of sin is being replaced by the mindset of righteousness and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this is happening because of the blood of Jesus' Son. The blood of Jesus refers to the death of Christ. That's when his blood was shed. That's when his blood was shed. It's only by the death of Christ that we can be saved, that we can even have fellowship with God, that we can even be transformed, that we can escape the dominion and realm of sin. So your daily obedience, your walking in the light, keeps you under the cleansing work of the cross so that the the death of Jesus can can continue to cleanse you. 
Another way to put it is that obedience helps to break the influence of sin upon you because you're walking in the light. The, the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus is cleansing you. So obedience now makes obedience in the future easier. Practice regular obedience, daily obedience. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't downplay your sin. Don't downplay your sin. This is a second claim that will get you nowhere. The first one was claiming to have fellowship with God while you're walking in the dark. The second is, I have no sin. Now, this per, this claim right here in verse 8 isn't talking about specific sins so much as he's talking about a sin nature, a sinful disposition. He's not so, so much denying that he occasionally sins. He's just not really taking responsibility for his sins. These kind of people deny that they are inclined toward evil. They might say, you know, I know I know, I do some bad things from time to time, but it's not really who I am. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm really a good person at heart. I, I just mess up sometimes. You know, um, or they're, they're the kind of people who blame everyone else but themselves. They don't take responsibility for their sins. They'll blame Satan. The devil made me do it. They'll blame nature. I was born this way. Uh, they'll blame nurture. Uh, you don't know how I was raised, the kind of environment I grew up in. Uh, they'll blame culture. Society drove me to this. Or they'll blame others. She made me so mad that I couldn't help myself. Or he made me so mad. And Pastor Ryan's talked recently about how a person really doesn't make you, you know, it's your response, it's your choice. The basic problem here is a refusal to take responsibility for one's sins. But the truth is, when you sin, you're guilty. You are responsible. And it springs not because you're a good person, but from a sinful nature. Human nature is not fundamentally good. It is fundamentally bad. It's fundamentally flawed and broken. That's why it's called a sinful nature. We are inclined to do that which is not in line with God's word. We are inclined to rebel against God. We're inclined to selfishness. To see yourself as basically a good person who sometimes screws up means that according to verse 8, according to verse 8, scriptures, you are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. You're deceiving yourself. Don't downplay your sins. Own them. You know, I'm acting like my mom here. I'm acting like my... Wait, this is just... Uh, uh, no, no, I'm not... No. no. No, I'm not blaming my parents, okay? I'm just saying, if someone said... Oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. Okay. I'm acting like my mom, but... I know it's me that made that choice. Or I'm acting like my dad, but I know it's me that made that choice. I mean, that was a pattern that was set for me, but it's I who am making the choice. Own the sin. Don't blame it on others. Don't downplay your sins. Own them so that they can be dealt with, so that you can confess them and repent of them. All of this talk about dealing with sin is for your joy. It's for your happiness. If you deal with your sin, if you deal with your sin in the right way, you have fellowship with God. You have the joy of the Christian life. You have the blessing, the, the blessings that can't come any other way. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we come to number 5. Regularly confess your sins. Regularly confess your sins. 
we will sin from time to time, <clears throat> even as Christians. <clears throat> Excuse me. The bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Um, that's true. And I'm, I want to focus in on the Christians aren't perfect part in a minute. But that's true, but it's only part of the truth. Uh, there's more than Christians being just forgiven. <laughs> there's more of a difference than that. Uh, a more accurate bumper sticker might go something, oh, yeah, there it is. More accurate one would be like this, but it's not as catchy. Uh, Christians aren't perfect, but they are forgiven, and they are growing in godliness as they strive for spiritual maturity. That, that's more accurate. Um, but again, not very catchy. But uh, Christians aren't perfect. That's true. But when we do sin, what do we do? We are to confess that sin to God. I was wrong. I lost my temper, and I was wrong. I yelled at my kids, and I was wrong. Uh, the Greek word for confess, and I put it in your outline, is homologeo. You see, it, it's made up of two words. You see the first four letters, homo, means same. Okay, we're familiar with that prefix in other contexts, homo sapien or homosexual. Okay, it means same. Homo and logeo means to say. Okay, so the word for confess in Greek means to say the same thing. It's to say the same thing. And when you're confessing your sin to God, you're saying the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. My temper, Heavenly Father, my temper, when I lost my temper, that was wrong. That's confession. You're saying the same thing about it that what, it's what God says about it. God says, when you lost your temper, that was wrong, and you're saying the same thing. That's what confession is. Telling him, admitting to God that you were wrong. That it's not okay. And what happens when you confess sins to God? It says he is faithful and righteous, or he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. The person who doesn't admit that they're unrighteous, God doesn't cleanse them then of their unrighteousness. It has to be admitted and confessed before God will start to cleanse and purify you. I want you to notice something too. This letter was written to believers. This letter was written to Christians. And these people... When you sin, let me make it clear, when you sin as a Christian, you don't lose your salvation. Okay, you haven't lost your salvation, but you have stepped out of fellowship with God. You have stepped out of fellowship with God. And, uh, and so confession, all these things help you to be in fellowship with God, to receive the blessing of God, um, to, to be walking, uh, so you're not feeling the discipline of God. God does discipline His children. Bible is very clear about that. God disciplines his children in order that they will walk in holiness. So this letter is written to believers and we're not we're not talking about confessing your sins at yeah at the Christian life. Confession is a lifelong thing. Some people think that you know, it's when you become a Christian you confess your sins and you repent and boom, that's it. Confession is lifelong. Repentance changing your ways as God, you know, one, one good thing about the Holy Spirit is uh, when you become a Christian, he doesn't reveal all your sins to you at once. You would be overwhelmed. Okay. So you work on this for a little while. Oh yeah, that was wrong. And now you feel like you're, you're making progress. And then God, you're reading scripture and God reveals, Oh, this area needs to be changed now. Okay. So it's a, it's a process. Um, I don't know 
how many of you, when your kids are born, you sit down with them with a whole list of 150 rules, you know, they, they learn things, you know, as you go along, and that's what God does with us. Confession is a lifelong thing. Husbands, is one apology good enough for uh, the whole marriage? Wives, is one apology good enough for the whole marriage? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I know so. Uh, the word confess, the, and the word confess here in verse 9 is in, is in the present tense in the original language. So it could be translating, translated this way. If we keep on confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confession should be a regular part of your life as a Christian. Verse 10, if we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, I like the ESV. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here is a person who is flat out denying that they have sinned. They can't, this is a person that can't point to a single specific instance in their life, or at least recently, where they have done something really bad or wrong. This person is not only deceiving themselves, they're basically calling God a liar, for God has said that everyone sins. Okay, for instance, here's several verses, I'm not going to read through them all. 1 Kings 8, 46, Psalm 14, Ecclesiastes 7, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 64, Isaiah 64, all of us have become like some, something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God says that we have all sinned. So to say that we haven't sinned, to claim that we're perfect, that you haven't sinned, um, is to call God a liar. So have you sinned? Can you think of any sins? If I were to give you two minutes right now, to come up with a sin, to confess to God, would you be able to do that? Okay, I just want you to shout them out right now. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, if you can't, you're in a danger, dangerous position, but there is a remedy, and your position is stated in verse 10. Here's your position. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. His word is not in you. That's a dangerous position to be in. But it also points to the remedy. It also points to the remedy, and that's this six. Immerse yourself in God's word. Immerse yourself in God's word. God's word can't be in you if you think that you haven't sinned. But start studying God's word, the Bible. Start reading it and thinking about what it says. Immerse yourself in it. Submit to it, and it will begin to reveal the sin that is in your life so that you can deal with it. It doesn't sound like a good thing, but it is. Uh, my... Uh, my brother-in-law recently asked me uh, how old I was because I had a birthday. And I said, well, I'm 49. He says, ooh, next year colonoscopy. I thought, no, no, next year 50. What's this colonoscopy stuff? And he pressed a little harder on that than I wanted him to. I mean, we, we, have, a, we have a good relationship, and he marred it. But, uh, but I, you know, I understand his point. Um, I understand his point. I don't like me and colonoscopy in the same sentence. But, you know, if there's a problem, discovery is good so it can be remedied. You need to immerse yourselves in the scriptures so that your sin can be discovered, so that it can be dealt with. Because right now, you're out of fellowship with God. If you, if you can't confess sin because you're not aware of any. 
There's sin that you need to confess and repent of, and you don't see it. The Bible is like an x-ray that reveals our problem. It's like a lamp being lowered into a well, and the deeper it goes, the, the uglier the things are that it reveals. And the Bible reveals the ugly things in our hearts so that we can deal with it. Okay, let's, let's sum up. Sin is the big fellowship killer. It's the one problem that will drive a wedge between you and God. It already has, in fact. But Jesus came and died to deal with our sins. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, fantastic. But you still need to be vigilant against sin. You still need to be vigilant against sin. Don't let sin drive a wedge between you and God again. Be vigilant against sin. Look at another passage that was written to believers, Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That idea of putting to death the deeds of the body, that's something we are called to all our lives. You know, if you battle with, uh, I keep coming to temper, there's other sins. Uh, If you battle with anger, you need to work at putting it to death. And it's, sometimes those sins are not easy to put to death, but you still need to work at it. You still need to strive against it. You need to strive against lust. You need to, if, if you're tearing people down with your tongue, you need to work on your mouth. You need to work on your tongue. You need to work on your speech. Okay? Repentance and confession don't just happen at the beginning of conversion. They should be ongoing. Your life should be characterized by waging war against your sin. John Owen said, be killing sin. He's like 16th century, so he talks weird. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin in your life or it will be killing you. Don't deny your sins. Don't downplay your sins. Don't think that your sins don't matter. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Confess your sins. And don't forget prayer. Prayer, Pray for help. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.